So my father has always loved a full house. I don't think there was ever a time that my sisters or myself would ask him if we could have people over and he would have said no. And for most of our childhood, he ran a residency program. And so Christmas was a full house. He invited strangers galore. We would wake up, we would have opened our presents, and then people would just start ringing the doorbell. Now, while it is so lovely and kind for him to do this, so gracious, my dad has this tendency to over-invite people. Especially now, as, as we are older, and most of us have to travel to go and be with my parents. And my mom and I, the night before I come, we will be thinking about where everyone is going to sleep. And there has not been a time when she does not say, well, guess what? Your dad invited Uncle Mary Rose. And so she's going to be in the room you normally sleep in. Or he decided that he would invite his friends, Bobby and Larry. And so they're going to be in the room you would normally sleep in. And so as my mom spent the next several minutes trying to Tetris sleeping arrangements for all of the family. We're getting rather frustrated and I can hear my dad in the background say, I know where I'm sleeping. <laughs> as much of a mess as he has made, he knew and he knows we will make room. Even if it's on the floor of his own bedroom. As I prepared for Christmas this year, it hit me why my father loves an overfull without enough places for people to sleep home. My father has this perspective that, that really is greater than my, my mom and I would get lost in the details. And that is this, with a house full of people, with a room full of people, with a church full of people, the possibility for contagious joy increases. It blossoms. So my kids are getting older and my husband travels for work and so in the past five years I have spent a lot more time alone at home. And while this has given me space to do the inner work that is so necessary as you get older, I am lonelier. I cannot imagine being in a job that was lonely. My favorite day of the week is Sunday. I get to be with you all. I love to come into the office. As I look at the Christmas story and as, as, as what the pastors and Jose have just read, I continue to be amazed at the profession of a first century Palestinian shepherd. Talk about a lonely life. Most of them didn't have a home base. They would have been nomads and, and traveled on the outside of the Palestinian wilderness from place to place, but not in cities. They would have just set up a tent or maybe slept under the stars most nights. They were quite accustomed to lonely lives. And it is to these people that the angel came. So it is no surprise that when the angel comes to speak to the shepherds, they are terrified. They're used to no one talking at night and it being silent for most days. And then the angel speaks and this year, I, I was struck by words that I'm not normally struck by. Normally, I'm really struck by just this, these words. Do not be afraid. But this year, I heard something else. Hear it again. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. The angels could have said, we bring you good news of great security 
We bring you good news of great health, good news of great wealth, good news of an established future. Nope, just joy. And if there is one word that I think describes what it really can mean to be in an alive relationship with Jesus, it is that word. It is joy. Now, to be sure, it is not happiness. Happiness is really determined by the circumstances of our lives. I would be happier if I was on vacation and didn't have to do as much laundry. I would be happier if I hadn't cut my hand trying to clip my dog. I would be happier if the Georgia Bulldogs were in the championship bracket, which they should be. <laughs> but joy, this is something wholly different. The author and theologian C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, it is that of an unsatisfied desire which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. I call it joy, he says, which is here a technical term. And it must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and pleasure. Joy has indeed one characteristic and one only. The fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever, if both were in her power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. Church, this is what the world, this is what we need. We need Christmas joy. Now, how do we hold Christmas joy in the midst of a war? between Israel and Palestine? How do we hold Christmas joy in the midst of what's going to be just another ugly election year? How do we hold Christmas joy when our own lives have chaos and grief and despair? What do we do? God is so wise because the Christmas story is unique. It is unique for us. It is a story for us. Joy is not conditioned by doubt, fear, or anxiety. Consider Mary. Weeks before she is to give birth, Joseph says to her, we have to travel 70 miles south. We have to travel because the new emperor wants to know how many people live in each of their home villages so that he can figure out how much to tax us. So they travel, they get there, and she's about to give birth, and yet none of Joseph's relatives had thought to save them a room they get there and, and they have no place to sleep. Not to mention on top of all that, Mary has this confusion and this anxiety that who she is about to give birth to is God. The Christmas story, our Christmas story, is not one of a silent night and a sweet eight pound, 11 ounce baby Jesus. The real Christmas story is the model for the world of how we are to hold joy and weariness at the exact same time. Mary held in one hand confusion and doubt, and in the other, she held a brand new baby boy. Mary and Joseph stared at the disappointment, the exclusion, the loneliness that their family had given to them at the same exact time that they stared at a manger that provided room for their sleeping newborn to rest. You see, the good news is that the joy that comes from Jesus is the antidote 
that our world needs for the pandemic of loneliness and despair. There is this incredible resource I highly recommend to you all. It's called the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. And, and they just take different topics and that affect our everyday lives, but then add faith into it. And there's this incredible interview between one of their Yale professors. His name is Dr. William James Jennings. And he talks about the uniqueness of Advent joy. And this is what he calls it. Joy is an act of resistance against despair and its forces. And joy in that regard is a work that can become a state that becomes a way of life. He goes on to say, despair wants to make death the final word. This is what we, we sometimes believe. He says, not death as in simply the end of life, but death and all of its signatures. Death, war, violence, debt, hatred, all the ways in which life can be strangled. So what do we do with the good news of great joy for all the people? This great joy that has the potential to literally fight despair? Jesus models what we should do. From the moment Jesus was born, he wanted to be surrounded by people. Y'all know that story where he's, he's a young boy and his family all travel to Jerusalem for the Passover. And, and they're all there. And then the family leaves to head back to Nazareth. And a couple days in, like, like good neglectful parents, they realize that their child is not with them. Well, he didn't want to leave. He was in the Lord's house. He was surrounded by people. As soon as Jesus began his ministry, did he immediately go and start preaching the temple? No. After he came out of the wilderness and was tempted, the first thing that he did was surround himself with 12 people. A motley crew they were. Because Jesus models for us that contagious joy is best when you surround yourself with people. We surround ourselves with people who, as Dr. Jennings says, who make you laugh in the places where all you want to do is cry. We surround ourselves with people who affirm that we are beloved children of God. Each person has inherent worth and value. We surround ourselves with people who want to hold on to life even when there is very little that makes sense of life. And then Dr. Jennings says this, joy is the currency that people exchange. Joy is the currency that we can exchange. You surround yourself with people who share joy. We have to surround ourselves with people who get like that old gospel song. This joy that I have, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. Who gave it to you? Nobody. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So we will be with my parents this week and you can guarantee the house will be full. I am sure my dad has invited some people and we will be figuring out where all of them will be sleeping, but not to worry, my mom will always make room. I pray each of us will make room for the joy of Jesus in our minds and hearts. Joy is how we can push back against despair. It is how we can resist the temptation to isolate, to wallow. Joy is the currency we as Christians 
can share. It can literally transform workplaces, families, schoolrooms. This Christmas, joy to the world. May it be so in my life and in yours.